0: Good morning. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. BYU's got a starting quarterback, and his name is Jaron Hall. Baylor Romney's going to be the backup. No real surprise. That had kind of been the, uh, the guess, the educated guess for a long time, but it's not official until the coach decides it's official because that was reserved the right to change their mind. But they didn't. Why didn't they change their mind? What did
1: Aaron Roderick see? Here's the BYU offense coordinator with the media. Sure, I'll give an opening statement. Uh, Jaron Hall is going to start uh, against Arizona. He's he's had a great camp and he earned the job. And um, uh, the the other guys have played well. And it was a great it was a great battle. I've, I've uh, never gone that far into camp, given everybody equal reps. Um, but I felt like it was warranted in this case, and and uh, we did more team eleven on eleven reps than I've ever done in my career. And uh, Jaron earned the job. I, I told the QBs yesterday, you know, we well actually we talked about it. A, a week ago, they've sort of known how this was shaping up, and uh, you know, I this isn't my decision. This was decided on the field by their play, and Jaron deserves this opportunity. Still believe in those other guys, but I'm really excited to see Jaron play against Arizona. All right, Jake, and then Mitch. Yeah, a Rod. How different is is Jaron's game now as it was compared to maybe two years ago? Um. Similar game to what you guys have seen when he's played before, but I would say he's just a, more of a veteran player now. He's been around a long time. Um, he's been through a lot, and uh, he, he really knows our offense better now than he did then, and I think just the time of being in the program is going to serve him well when when he gets out there, and uh, same thing goes for Baylor. I mean, Baylor's a veteran player, so that's we have a lot of trust in him as well, but I, I, I just think, you know, yeah, what you've seen Jaron do before is what what I expect to see him do again, just expect him to be a little bit more efficient, a little bit more uh, sound at managing situations and understanding the the full game. Uh, Aaron, uh, what what have Baylor and Jacob told you their plans are now after this decision? Um, I think they plan on being at practice tomorrow, as far as I know. I just asked because the the presence of the transfer portal is all. Oh, oh, I see what you mean. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> they, 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 those two guys from my experience with them, uh, those guys are high character, competitive guys. They understand this game. It's it's not easy to go through twelve games with one QB. It doesn't happen very often. And um, these guys are all young. I mean, everybody forgets they're talking about two sophomores and a freshman. So, you know, I. Not even thinking about anything like that. If if they are, then uh, I don't know about it. KJ, go ahead. Uh, yeah, Aaron. Any decision yet on the backup quarterback or the scout team quarterback or anything? I'm not sure if we'll see an official depth chart or not. Yeah. Um, well, that competition is ongoing. If we if we were, if the game was today, Baylor would be would be second. Um, they'll we'll keep. Con- we'll keep competing all season, you know, and that goes for the starter too. Uh, You know, Jaron's not dumb. He knows he's got to go play well. There's good players behind him. And I expect him to do that though. I have a lot of confidence that he's going to play great. Um, But all those guys know that in this program, competition is ongoing all the time at every position. And so we'll keep working there. And I will, I do have a, uh System where I can still give reps to both backup quarterbacks during the season. I've been doing it for a couple of years now and I've, I've found a way to that I think is effective at keeping the starter ready, but also, you know, the, keeping other guys improving and ready to play in, in case they're needed. And I think it's worked out well for the last two seasons. All right, we'll take second round of questions. Jake, go ahead. Yeah, Aaron, when it comes to Jaron, how much concern is there with regards to his health status? Obviously, we saw him play in those two games. He left both games early in 2019. Yeah, that was unfortunate, Um, but I'm I'm not really... (laughs) not can't really worry about that you know it's been two years he's he's been uh practicing with us now all last spring all fall camp he's looking great and we're gonna go play and uh you know we, we obviously we're not a reckless offense we want to protect our quarterback we don't you know we, we take care of our qbs as much as we can in pass protections and uh but our everybody knows our quarterbacks are going to run a little bit every game and and that's part of the game and uh but you know, I, I personally, I think those were fluky things. You know, his, his injuries of the past, I don't, I don't consider him an injury-prone guy. He's a really tough kid. He works as hard as anybody in this program. He's in great shape, and uh, he's one of the best athletes on this team, and I, I expect him to, uh, you know, be ready to play just like any other QB in this program has played. Mitch, go ahead. Yeah, Coach, uh, what were some of the the big leaps maybe you've seen in Jaron's game, this camp that maybe you hadn't seen in in previous years uh, with him being in the program? just his command his command of the overall offense just he looks like he's in control out there he knows what we're doing everything from pass protections to um you know his reads in the passing game uh you know we ask him to do quite a bit in the run game our quarterbacks probably do more in the run game than than people realize he's he does he does a lot of good things there as far as uh, getting us to the right plays um he just looks like a veteran player so far in camp, and and uh, now it's time to go show that he can do that in a game. Uh, he took really good care of the ball. That was that was a important part of fall camp. Was Jaron had the fewest turnovers and um, and the most explosive plays, and those are two very important things for a quarterback. Jay, okay, go ahead. Aaron, you probably noticed Arizona is going to go with the. Uh, the dreaded double quarterback, uh, whatever you call it, the co-starters. Uh, did you ever consider that for your guys? What's your philosophy on that sort of uh, strategy? We were going to go with the three quarterbacks. <laughs> just, just kidding. No. Um, yeah. They, <clears throat> I didn't consider that, no. And um, I thought we, we had enough team reps in practice that we were able to settle it on the field and um Kalani was great our defense was great about lots of 11 on 11 football we we had to sacrifice a few individual periods so sometimes we're coaching techniques from team reps instead of where you might be coaching techniques from individual drills and um but I thought the I thought it was well worth it. And it gave us a large enough body of work to really see all those guys play. They had equal reps with the first team. It wasn't like, it wasn't like one of them was only getting reps with the the third team O-line or something like that. They were all in, they all had equal reps with first team O-line, first team receivers all the way through. Um, And so that gave us the information we needed to, to sort this out the way it did.
2: Gabe Jake, last question.
1: Yeah, Aaron, Jaron, I think by some is labeled as a dual threat quarterback. How would you label him as a quarterback in terms of his overall skill set? I would agree with that. I mean, we've seen him do it. Uh, I think, I think all of our quarterbacks are dual threats, though, and that's that's that won't change as as long as I'm here. I'm going to keep recruiting quarterbacks that can do both. But I think um, that's the nature of the game these days. Is if you have a, a quarterback that's a threat to run or that can extend plays, make plays with his feet, um, that's a huge part of the game. Huge part of our offense. Here's BYU offensive coordinator. Aaron Roderick. When we come back,
0: we're talking quarterbacking with Riley Jensen. Stay with us.
3: Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show.
0: DJ and P.K., it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to bring in our college football insider, Riley Jensen. P.K. was going on and on about, uh, you know, good-looking, handsome guys on the staff and all that kind of stuff as Riley uh, joined us yesterday morning. Here he is. Joining us now, the guy we love to talk to regardless of where he ranks on the handsome scale, and I'm not going to get into it, but I suspect P.K.'s about to, Riley Jensen, our college football insider. And he joins us on the smart rain Guest line it's no secret that utah is in an extreme drought that's why smart rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation find out more at smartrain.net riley good morning
4: good morning i was just going to say i mean where does elite come into this conversation because i feel like i feel like you know who cares about looks if you're elite right
2: yeah but for me it's just icing on the cake
4: <laughs> it's, it's the gravy on your meal, right?
2: Yeah, precisely.
4: <laughs> got
0: it. Got love talking quarterbacks with the former Utah State quarterback, uh, Riley Jensen. And, and PK has brought up the fact that Arizona has decided to go with two quarterbacks against BYU. I thought before I heard that, BYU should win this football game. And after hearing that, I thought... BYU should win this football game. For Arizona, you know, it's a progression and all that, and so Wildcat fans, I get why they'd get into this, but for BYU fans, I'm having a hard time getting worked up. Yes, they have to prepare for two quarterbacks, but I don't I don't see how this should change the outcome. Do you? Well
4: it would be hard it would be hard to say that that I mean what I can't remember the last time. Maybe, maybe the only exception to this rule where you had two quarterbacks that played really well, and and the team did really well was like Mark Brunell in like. And I'm sorry, I'm going to clear back to like 1989 or 90, and I can't even remember who the other guy Billy was. Billy Joe Herbert. Yeah, there Hobart you go. Herbert, there you something know. like that. There you go. They call him Billy Joe
0: yeah. Gunrack. That's what I remember. Okay, I don't remember his last name, but I remember the Billy Joe Gunrack
2: joke. So. And then Bronco That's tried to you know, do it with Jay Keeps and Riley Nelson, didn't he?
4: Yeah, and how did that work out? Didn't work out too well, did it? I mean, I, I just think that there's maybe one or two like total times in the history of football that like the two-quarterback system has worked. So I, I don't think that bodes well for Arizona. I think that bodes very well for BYU. And I think I'm just kind of surprised that Jed Fish down there, who who's supposedly a big-time quarterback guy, would would take that approach, other than the fact that he just doesn't feel like he has a quarterback at all, and so he's like, we'll just we're just gonna do what we can to get through this, right? So I, uh, that's a hard, that's a hard, that's a hard one for me. That's a really hard one for me.
2: Yeah, I asked Whittingham the other day uh, with Brewer gonna be the starter, and then um, they're playing Weber, and since they said by their own admission that it was neck and neck with Brewer and Rising going forward here that I thought maybe they wouldn't come out and say it because Kyle is adamantly opposed to a two-quarterback system. But my line of thinking is maybe you give both guys a shot against Weber uh, and go from there. If it's neck and neck, so that's the thing about it. it, it, You're so close... Where in every other position, you'd probably get some PT, but here, if it's so close and the other quarterback beats you out barely, and then you don't play at all, it seems kind of a rip, especially against the game against Weber, but it seemed like Winningham was opposed to that.
4: Yeah, I kind of don't blame him. I, I Look, you, you make the decision and you go with the guy, you don't... I feel like you don't mess around with it. I feel like quarterbacks get messed around with more than more than ever before. As far as like who the starter is going to be, we very seldom see a guy get named in the spring and give him the whole summer to settle into that leadership role and and to kind of be the quarterback anymore. It's all about. I mean, you hear Kalani talk about it. You hear Kyle talk about it. You hear Gary Anderson when he was the coach at Utah State. Oh yeah, these guys got to compete for their position too. They've got to. So quarterbacks don't get to ease into the position. I think the very least you could do is once you name them the quarterback, like give them a little bit of rope, like give them a little bit of like you can ease into this. Now, as far as the Weaver State game goes, I, I, don't, I would have no problem with with Charlie Brewer starting and playing, you know, up to halftime through three quarters, and then getting getting rising some good live reps but I wouldn't want to give the message to the team that I'm still not sure who the guy is. If you if you pick the guy, you pick the guy, and go with him. Go with it.
0: You know, they say they're not naming him until now, and yet if you know somebody who has access to what's going on in the program, and in, in programs where there's so many local guys, that opens up the number of people have access because, you know, players on the team. And A-Rod acknowledged, well, we haven't named it yet, but I think if you talk to the guys on the team, they know. Right? So, everybody's been hearing since March, well, it's going to be, this is going to be the guy. At both Utah and BYU. So, are we really going to be crossed up? Are we really going to be surprised after hearing all these rumors?
4: I would be really surprised if it's not Charlie Brewer and if it's not Jaron Hall. I mean, I, I, to me, that just seems like the natural course of things. Now, the other thing that I'll say, you know, I, I was saying quarterbacks get kind of moved around more than ever before, and they don't get the, you know, the the luxury of, of kind of being named all summer. But I think, I think the other part about that is if you're the second string quarterback, I mean, I. I don't care what school you're at, there's a really, really good possibility that you're going to play and you're going to play and start in a lot of games and you're going to have plenty of chances to prove yourself just because the nature of the position, you know, and I feel like I feel like there's just been a, a swing, you know. So so you go back to the 60s and 70s under Bear Bryant and, and kind of the offense like clear back then. It was all wishbone. It was super athletic quarterbacks that could throw it a little bit. But, man, they were athletic. And then these these quarterbacks started getting really hurt, you know, and and they were out, and it would cost teams national championships or conference championships, and people were upset about it. And then you swing into the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s, you know, back when I was playing quarterback, and it was a much different type of quarterback um, from the 60s and 70s where, you know, we want him to stay in the pocket. We want to protect him. We want to be able to throw the ball downfield. We want this guy to be – you know, a laser type passer. Right. And then now we've moved into the, you know, from 2005, I think Alex Smith helped kind of change that narrative, right. In 2004, 2003, where quarterbacks started moving into this guy that's super athletic and can throw. And, you know, there was a time where I used to say, God, man, I mean, who, who does everybody think they are? There's like four, five, four or five quarterbacks in the country that can run and throw, you know, but now I would say, you know, if you looked around the country, it used to be that, like, Oregon was the only guy that had a quarterback who could run and throw the ball, and then you'd sprinkle in Tim Tebow and somebody else, and you'd go, wow, that's that's pretty impressive that those guys can do both, right? And then you get to now where I would say over 50% of the quarterbacks in, in the country that are starting at Division one schools are really good runners and really good passers. I mean they they can do it all and but what what you expose yourself to when you do that is the injury bug again. But I think coaches are betting on the fact that you know they have a Romney in their in their backup system. They have Rising in their backup system. So they can run their offenses the way they want to run them and they're deeper than they used to be and so I think it's an interesting idea. I think it's an interesting idea to play both quarterbacks, but I think both quarterbacks at all of these schools are going to play. I just really do. I think they're going to have an opportunity to have meaningful meaningful reps and meaningful playing time this year.
2: So when you're involved in this quarterback battle, and a lot of times it starts in spring. Rising didn't play in the spring, so it's a little bit different. But the others in Provo did, and then it <laughs> continues in the training camp in August, and then they make it a decision. How deflating is it for the guy who doesn't win the position?
4: Oh, it's always it's always deflating as a competitor. Like, and and to play the quarterback position, you've got to have a little bit of ego. You can't just be like. Oh no, you know what? It's all it's all good, it's all okay, right? It it hurts. I mean, there's no question that if you're if you don't if you're not on the winning end of that decision, um it, it's very hurtful. But I will say this and like you were alluding to earlier DJ, like it, it's pretty apparent before you're even told as the quarterback because you can see who's getting all the number one reps. You can see the guy that's getting the first set of the number one reps you can kind of see long before it happens so it's it's kind of like you know it's coming you know it's coming you hope it's not coming you hope you've staved it off you hope that you're going to be the starter and then and then but you kind of realize that you're not and then they tell you and it confirms it but it's still hurtful it's it's not a fun position to be in when i was when i was competing at BYU for the for the job or what i thought was competing for the job i never got i never got a rep with the number ones and somehow in my naive mind as a competitor like i thought i was going to prove all the coaches wrong and that i was going to get and i was playing with the twos going against the ones sometimes my 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 stats would be better than the number 1 guys the guys that were repping with the number ones and then i was all excited i can remember at BYU being so excited to get to the final, like you know, the, the the blue and white game or the scrimmage in the in the in the spring, and just before we get there, you know, Norm Chow pulls me to the side and he just says, "Hey, look, like it doesn't matter what we do in this game. Like we're, we we're making our decision based on the way practices went." I'm like, "Oh, so that's then then I'm done. Then then basically I knew I was done at that point, right? That that's kind of how he told me that I wasn't going to be the first string guy, and so." it's deflating because you feel like you've worked really hard and that you're going to get a chance to play with some of the guys that like can make plays for you and you know he he stayed true to his word. I had a really really good spring game and he stayed with what what he thought was best for the team and so that changes your career, it changes your thought process. It's hard. It's a hard moment, no no question about it. But in my era it's a little bit different. I think I think if I was in this era today, I would stay just because you know, there's so many injuries, and and really even back then, you know, Shoemaker, Fe, uh, Shoemaker and Federick were the other quarterbacks when I was at BYU. Um, Shoemaker struggled a little bit. Federick Frederick got hurt, and then Drew Miller was playing that year. That would have been my spot. I would have had I would have had an opportunity to play at BYU if the whole situation had been, you know, if I, if I could have predicted the future. But I think that's much more typical of today's game than it was clear back when I was playing.
0: Uh, that was the next thing I was going to get to, is that Kyle Winningham can go to a call a of quarterback into his office and say, yeah, you're number 2, and that probably stings. But look at this. Look at the last four years of the University of Utah. They've had a quarterback make it through and start every game one time in four years. Huntley misses four games. Huntley misses five games. Last year, they, they picked a starter, court, a starting quarterback, and he made a fourteen plays. So exactly, you got to be ready. And I guess especially if you're at BYU, where everyone seems to think they're three deep, because if you're number two and you're not ready, you mess up your chance, and number three grabs the reins, you may not get another one. So, you, yes, take a minute because it sucks, but then get on with it.
4: Yeah, no, I, I you, you actually bring up a great phrase. In the military, they say embrace the suck, don't stay in the suck. You know, like give it a big hug, roll in it a little bit, like be upset, but give yourself a time limit for how long you're going to be upset because you got to get yourself ready and you got to be ready to play. And, and it happens so much now in college football that you just can't, you can't wallow in your misery for too long because you're going to get your opportunity. And like you said, if you're not ready for that opportunity – you know, the next guy will get an opportunity, and if he nails it, you might not ever get another shot. And so, yeah, yeah, be upset. Be upset for today. Be upset through this weekend, and then be ready to go for practices and for your teammates and for everything that's good about football starting the next week, right?
2: You think Taysom Hill is a starting quarterback in the NFL?
4: Well, I think... <laughs> I think before this last performance, I would have said yes. Um, It's an interesting... He's an interesting quarterback. He has far exceeded my expectations in the NFL. Uh, And you can go back to some of the tape of me talking with you guys about Taysom Hill when he played at BYU. my, My biggest worry about him from way back in his days at BYU was his accuracy. It wasn't... Does he have moxie? It wasn't. The, is he afraid of the moment or not? It wasn't whether he's mentally tough enough to do it. It was just there was an accuracy piece and there was a touch piece that like concerned me. And last week um, was the first time that I saw that get exposed again. Um, and so, yes, I think he's a starter in the NFL, but I don't. I don't know that it would ever be a long-term thing. Like I think he could go to a team. And he could start for a year and, and be a really serviceable, serviceable quarterback for a team. And, I, look, I could be wrong on this because he's out. Like I said, he's, he's outkicked my, my thoughts and my processes as far as he goes, as far as, as, far as his career goes in the NFL. And you just can never, you can never doubt somebody that has that much mental toughness and that much, like, the chutzpah that he has is just really, really cool. But I kind of feel like we're getting to the top of his um, potential where, yeah, he could start for a season for a team and be pretty serviceable, but the GMs and the presidents and the owners of the league are going to be looking for that, that next guy. Like he's, he's a, you know, for, for lack of a better term, he's he's the guy that's dating someone but you know she's got one eye on him and one eye on the other guys in the room right and and so yeah he's pretty good we're glad he's in the room but you know they've got they've got an eye on somebody else too and and that's a tough position to be in for him because it's hard to stay confident and it's hard to believe in yourself when somebody's always looking for somebody else to kind of take your place
0: Riley Jensen joined us here on 97.5 at twelve eighty. The Zone. Uh, we have talked a lot about Utah and BYU. We have not talked a lot about Utah State. Have you heard anything different coming through these scrimmages? Is there any more hope, or is this going to be a rebuilding year for the Aggies?
4: Well, I mean, like I told you guys last week, it's still there's a lot of enthusiasm. I was I was at their practice on Monday. There was there was a lot of enthusiasm. It's fun to see a team like hustle around, try and make plays. They're playing relaxed. Um, I think that I think that you're going to see a team that plays fast, where you're, where you're going to see an exciting brand of football. My my question mark is is can you shake off can you shake off the results of last season? Can you shake off the mentality of the last couple of years where you haven't been able to win some of the tough games and you haven't been able to be in some of those tough games? and move yourself back in the right direction. And I think that takes a lot of coaching, right? That takes coaching of the culture. That takes coaching of the players. But I think right now there's a lot of optimism, but there's a lot of optimism all the way across the country with a lot of teams. I think where we're really going to see where, where the rubber meets the road is when they get in a tough game or when they get in a tough loss, where does the mentality shift at that point? And I think that's where, Coach Blake Anderson is going to move is really going to earn his money and earn his keep as a coach at Utah State if he can if he can navigate those waters successfully.
0: Riley as always we appreciate the time thanks for hopping on with us and we'll talk to you again next week.
4: Thanks for having me guys I appreciate it.
0: Who's Riley Jensen, our college football insider? We'll have him on every week, all year long, as we've been doing that uh, with Riley for years. Love having him on. When we come back, love having Matt Brown on from Extra Points. He joined us late in the show. Really definitive opinions on where the alliance is going and whether the Pac 12 will expand. We'll get to him next. Stay with us.
3: DJ P.K. and Matt Brown
0: joining us now, covering college football nationally for Extra Points newsletter and podcast. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. So secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at SmartRain.net. Matt, I'm irritated, and I suspect you are, too. College football season is almost here in Oklahoma, Texas, the SEC, and now this Alliance thing. We needed this weeks and months ago. We didn't need this now. What are they doing? What about
5: us? What about our needs? <laughs> They're completely screwing up my publishing schedule, right? I want this in July. That's extra point season, right? Like that, Because I'm the you. guy that wants to really get in the weeds with that kind of stuff. It's 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 was completely insensitive. And, and honestly, like – I'm even more angry because I sat through that entire alliance press conference, which absolutely <laughs> should have been an, e- uh, an email. It should have been was a meeting <laughs> well, they did do that an email. I went way too long oh, yeah. and wasted
0: everyone's time. They didn't talk about, they didn't say out loud the part that seems pretty obvious. The SEC's gone to 16, and it suddenly occurred to every league wait a minute, they might do to us what they did to the Big 12. They're giving, They're doing ESPN's bidding. ESPN here, take some money. We'll pay you well. Let's get a monopoly on the top tier of college football. And so these 41 teams with a handshake deal, they're not held together by a document. They're held together by fear. Most of them fear that they could be on the outside looking in. It was fine when they did it to the Mountain West and the Big East, but they don't want it done to them. And so they're creating this alliance and more TV product and trying to generate enough money that the— Penn State, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Michigan, USC, and Oregon, don't. And Florida State, don't take off for the SEC. And they'll take a few friends with them, but they're not sure which ones, and it's scaring the you-know-what out of all of them. But nobody wants to call out ESPN and the SEC and admit they're in a position of weakness dealing from fear, so they end up saying nothing because they can't say what's really important. That's bad PR. Nobody would do
5: that. Your thoughts? I mean, yeah, it's also bad PR to... Do a press conference where you don't say anything and send <laughs> out a big press release to every reporter saying that this is actually about academics. Like, it, I don't think the big concern is so much that the SEC is going to poach USC and Ohio State um, and, and create their own little 2018 league and, and sail off. Like that—that that is a something that is popular uh, maybe among a couple of athletic directors and a lot of SEC mouthpieces, but it's not really practical. The, the bigger concern here is: Hey, we expand the playoffs in say two years. Which is, uh, you know, and the working group that created that proposal did not include any input from the Pac-12, from the Big Ten, or the ACC. We expand that, and we let ESPN have complete monopoly control over this thing for the next decade. And we, and I think the Pac-12 and the Big Ten realize there's a pretty good chance when they do their next television deals that ESPN is not going to be a major partner. ESPN might not end up picking up any Pac-12 rights at all. Uh, for the, for the this next television deal. Do you want then to, the, or the entity that controls all of the Bulls and controls uh, you know, essentially controls the playoff to then have a deep-seated commercial interest in two-and-a-half leagues and then put on their personalities trashing your league ahead of the selection show every single week? No. Like, and, and I think that that's kind of happened already. The only way to really fight back against that is to take the college football playoff to market, which honestly might not actually generate that much more money, but it's about control. It's about empowering Fox. It's about CBS, NBC, maybe somebody else getting into the bidding here, which is what most professional leagues do, to kind of diffuse that power. Because we're looking at a world here where the NCAA is as weak as it's been since the 1940s, and the entity that really controls college football, or to the extent that anything does, is ESPN. And uh, if you're not already working with ESPN or tied in with that league, you're probably not comfortable with that arrangement. Um, And that's certainly the case for the Pac-12 and the Big Ten right now.
2: Is it best for college football, though, to spread it out in the way that the NFL does because you look at their playoff formats and virtually all of these networks have multiple games?
5: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's probably better for the consumer, uh, especially if you don't really like some of the production or the the fanfare that that comes in with the college football playoff. I, I imagine it's frustrating if you're a fan of a of a Mountain West or a Sun Belt team and you're watching a Thursday night ESPN game and they're all they're doing is talking about Clemson in the playoff because they have to pump up that product. Um, it, it might be better for the you know, the broadcast experience if that's spread out amongst amongst other uh, other other companies. I don't necessarily know if it's going to make more money, Um, because by 2026, when this uh, comes up for market again, it's possible that more money will be leaving the conventional linear-to-broadcast television marketplace and going to things like YouTube or Amazon, um, and maybe it won't command quite the the same rights fee that it might if ESPN buys the whole thing out in 2023. Um, You know, My livelihood (laughs) doesn't depend on that, but I think if you're a West Coast football fan, that's probably the outcome that you want.
0: So then does CBS with no SEC in a few years, are they gonna end up televising a, a Big Ten, Pac twelve double header or maybe even two Big Ten games and one Pac twelve and do a triple header the way Fox does? And will Fox be doing the same thing with two Big Ten games and, and one Pac Twelve game and you know, F S one picking up the rest of the Pac twelve?
5: I, I think I think it's entirely possible. You know, both of those networks have professional sports commitments that can sometimes make going all in on college football challenging. I think anybody whose favorite team is, uh, you know, is, is mostly broadcast on Fox and knows what it's like when, you're, when your broadcast gets preempted for Major League Baseball <laughs> or, or, or for something else later in the fall and you end up on BTN or, or some other overflow network. But I, I, from what I've been hearing over the last several weeks, I don't believe that CBS is out of the big-time college football game, even though they've lost the SEC. I know they've been kicking the tires on some low and mid-majors. Uh, you know, the, the ESPN controls almost all of those right now. CBS Sports Network would like to have some of those, like they have here with the Mountain West. Uh, and I would expect, as whatever's left of the Big Twelve. The Big Ten, the Pac-12 hits the marketplace in a couple of years. I don't know if they'll win any of those bids, but I definitely expect them to be active.
2: You think in the short term is there, uh, for, for the alliance maybe some bigger games out of it? Can we get anything out of it?
5: No, probably not. I, and and the, at least at least on the football side, and that's just because you know Kevin Warren and George Klyachkov said like during this press conference, we're not here to. Um, do we tear up any existing contracts? And the, all you have to do, guys, is pull up SV schedules, and you can see that most of the big Big Ten, Pac twelve, and ACC teams are scheduled out through twenty twenty eight, if not the early twenty thirties. There's there's not really room. You might have a couple of athletic directors that are going to try to move things around, and you might get one, you know, maybe one game that's not previously scheduled with the alliance. On the next couple of seasons, where it's way more likely to happen, is with all the other sports that aren't scheduled like a jillion years in the future. So if you're a Utah lacrosse fan um, and you want to get more Big Ten or ACC games on your schedule before you're, what do you I think you're in like the A-Sun now. Great. I think that's possible. Um, there's already a Big Ten ACC challenge in, in men's and women's basketball. Could the Pac-12 get involved in some of that some more in the immediate future? Yeah, I, I, think, I think that that's, that's probable. So if you're a fan of Utah basketball. And you want to see Michigan State. Like, I, I think, I think that's, that's something that could happen. But on the football side, by the time there's enough scheduling room for all of this to happen, man, we might all be dead. There might, there might be a meteor. <laughs> College football could look totally different. Like, I, 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 I don't have the room in my heart to care about a scheduling arrangement in 2034.
0: Same here. See, I think that in the next, like, I'm looking at USC's future schedule right now, and USC's got one game in 24, one in 25, but they are wide open in 2027. So the new TV deal isn't kicking in until 2025. So they just kind of bide their time. But from 2025 on, they've only got five games scheduled, and two of them are noted, or six games scheduled, and two of them are Notre Dame games. So yeah. I, I think that that, and I also wonder if the Pack, if all these leagues aren't going to eight Eight conference games and then two alliance games, so they still have ten Power Fives, plenty good enough to get you into a, a playoff if you're a good team.
5: Sure, I mean, you know, during, during the presser, you know, the Pac-12 said, "Like, look, through our TV deal right now, we have a contractual agreement to remain at nine conference mm-hmm. games. So, if we want to switch to eight, you know, maybe we could try to negotiate that with ESPN and Fox if we're replacing that with like a big time you know game. But but that's going to be a challenge, especially on short notice, and especially because they're they're really trying to negotiate a big rights fee increase. Um, depending on how you count that Notre Dame game, you know that that's possible. But if if you're USC and USC's already been complaining about how the Pac-12 schedule has done them no favors and how they have to play you know, Notre Dame all the time. Um, if they're going to pick up another Alliance game, if you're going to count Notre Dame as that ACC game, do you want that team to be Ohio State? Or do you want that team to be Indiana? Uh, I, I can definitely see the argument for not wanting to super aggressively schedule, especially if the 12-team playoffs not happening for a few more years. If it's a four-team schedule, there's a four-team playoff, there's not really a big incentive for USC yeah. to go more aggressive scheduling than they already are right now.
2: So what do you think the SEC was doing during this press conference that said literally nothing
5: they were laughing I've, 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 I've even reached out to some athletic directors I'm like what are we doing here um they I I, I I don't think they're taking it personally i think they understand that this is the, 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 the binding principle of this entire organ entity here is not sec but the, the, the fact that they're not able to really articulate any kind of meaningful vision beyond we're not the sec you know is not going to threaten anybody here, right? Like, if they come back and say, we've got a scheduling agreement, it's going to kick in 2027, we are going to push for these seven things in the NCAA Constitutional Convention, we want to do X, Y, or Z, okay, then maybe you can respond to that. But platitudes is something that Big Ted's been really good at you know, talking about since the 30s. Um, action has been a different thing.
0: I think the SEC probably, they they can just shrug anything off because they're the SEC. They're dealing from a position of strength. I think if there was anyone upset with what they were hearing in the alliance, it was ESPN because they know that these three are going to angle to keep CBS and Fox in play for the postseason because that will keep them in play for the regular season as well
5: sure and you know but, but hey you know who owns the rights for the ACC's full, you know all of their media now in the 2030s is yeah. is the ESPN which also makes you think i don't know how stable this whole alliance is right nothing was there's no contract right nothing's nothing's written down and ESPN can put the squeeze on the ACC cuz the ACC is desperate to get out of that deal it's a not it's not a good television deal they're going to be passed in annual revenue by utah by Oregon State and by Colorado um, in, in about five or six years, because they have no chance to Im- improve that, those rights, if ESPN comes in there and says, listen, you drop your opposition here to taking this to market, we'll redo your deal and give everybody $9 million a year more, you're going to be able to peel off a couple of those schools.
2: Right. Yeah, and so do you see that that's a... That's a what level of legitimacy is that possibility?
5: Yeah, I, I, I think, I think that, is, that is entirely possible. You know, there's there's a reason the Big Ten and the Pac-12 have been working together administratively for, you know, since the 30s, right, since, since, uh, since the, the Pacific Coast Conference became kind of a thing. Those schools have a lot in common. That's really not that true with the ACC. D- despite all the, the protests otherwise here, they have different uh, commercial interests. They have different philosophical interests. Like, you can't get up here in the microphone and say, we are all committed to broad-based athletic programming, when Clemson literally was sued this year for trying to drop their men's track team and when they're sponsoring the NCAA minimum. Like, they are explicitly running their athletic department like an SEC team. Uh, and that's true for Syracuse. That's true for Louisville on, on, on some levels. It's, it's not the same thing. And so if ESPN wants to apply some leverage or if some push comes back from other places, I don't know if you can keep a crew of 41 schools altogether.
0: So then uh, this has always been on the back burner, but it goes to the front burner. If the ACC and the Big Ten really aren't aligned and you make good points, then the tug-of-war over Notre Dame should accelerate because neither one can afford to lose that. And maybe Notre Dame does stay independent forever. But, man, if I were the Big Ten, I'd be a little worried that they got one foot in the ACC.
5: Oh, sure. I mean, they, they have more than one foot. And it's not like Notre Dame can really easily join the Big Ten at this point because Notre Dame has a contractual obligation to join the ACC well into the 2030s if they join any league. And, and that, that is a concern. It's in the Big Ten's interest for Notre Dame football to remain independent than it is for them to join any league and potentially you know upset the balance of power for revenue-wise. Um, and that's something to keep in mind for college football playoff deliberations, right? If there's a way for Notre Dame to win 10 games and get like a sixth seed and, and to remain independent, they're going to do that until the earth stops spinning. <laughs> it's not about money. That is about institutional identity. There are enough old school uh, Irish boosters who would throw a temper tantrum. Cause like, people forget this. Notre Dame almost joined the Big Ten in the 90s. Um, like their their academic wing voted to do it, and it was they had a riot among their boosters and fans, and they'll do that again unless they have absolutely no choice. And it's in everyone else's best interest, other than the ACC, to let them have that choice.
2: Do you think going forward down the line in a number of years, schools like Utah are in a vulnerable position?
5: Um, a, a little bit. I mean, I mean. The, 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 there's this popular idea here uh, every off season, like the Power Five is going to split, right? They're, they're going to have their own 64-team super conference or whatever, and they want to do everything their own way. Well, you know, up, up until a month or two ago, I would have said that that's really not likely. That's not something schools want. They want to be a part of the NCAA. They want to be a part of the men's basketball tournament. But if we're going to kind of go down this accelerationist timeline, the magic number is not 64. The magic number is a lot smaller than that, and there will eventually come a point if we head down this timeline, when schools like USC and Ohio State and Clemson will sit down and really think: Do I need Wake Forest? Do I do I need Vanderbilt? Do I need Purdue? Like, do I really need those? And then, you know, that, that could potentially put a, a school like Utah in a, in a more challenging position. And they, I think they've done everything that you could possibly expect them to do. They've been one of the most athletically consistently successful teams in multiple sports in the, in the Pac-12 since they came in here. You have a growing market. You have... Maybe one of the only real college football cities, I think, within the Pac-12 footprint. Like San Francisco is not a college football town. Like Salt Lake is the, the, that that place cares about it and it's growing. But there's no guarantees. So much about what makes you a dynamite brand isn't what you did last year. It's what you did hundred years ago. <laughs> and, and so Utah and and plenty of the other you know kind of newer money programs in college athletics are going to be at a more disadvantaged place. It's always going to be better to be Ohio State. Than it, or UCLA, for that matter, who's not as good at sports, uh, than it is Utah or Colorado. That
0: brings us right back to where we started, that what's driving this is fear, because there are a lot of schools like Utah. I mean, just taking the Pac-12, if you were slimming down to 40 teams instead of 64, 68, whatever, if you're slimming <laughs> yeah. down to 40 teams or to 36 or to 32, well, in the Pac 12, USC, Oregon, and Washington are golden locks, nothing to worry about. Washington State, Oregon State, and Arizona, I don't really see a path. I, I, no way. I think you're done. Now, the other six schools, somewhere between, you know, maybe two or four of you are going to be okay. Well, with three, it'd probably be three or five of you would be okay, but somebody could easily get squeezed out, and you just don't know who that's going to be.
5: All you can do is focus on what's in your control right now. And, and you, you do that by um, building up your financial infrastructure. It, it's, it really is more than just who's good at sports, right? Um, obviously, that helps. I mean, the, the last decade has been absolutely atrocious for Cal. And we're going to put them in a, a weaker position if, if there's more – Realignment, I think, or or more fissures in in college sports, but it's not just that. It's also what can you what can you do to make yourself more financially independent? What what can you do to grow your fan base beyond your immediate geographic market? How can you monetize that and build a connection for that beyond just tickets for an event? Um, I think Utah's done just about everything it possibly can do, and you just have to. you, You already, you know, the rare team that played yourself into a bigger league. Um, I don't think they're in danger of being banished back to the Mountain West tomorrow or anything, Uh, but that's that's all all you can focus on. And I think if you're a student of college football history and you look at the history of college football in the West, that's always been a problem on the back burner. It's why the Pacific Coast Conference blew up. It's why Arizona State and Arizona are in this league. It's why the airplane conference almost happened. The big schools in Los Angeles have always been threatening to bolt. And they've always had one eye out the door because they don't want to be with Washington State or Oregon State anymore. And there's always a possibility that that could happen.
0: Last thing before we let you go, uh, do you buy the Pac-12 going to 14 teams? Do you think K-State and Oklahoma State would happen? And if so, is the Big Ten adding Kansas and somebody, maybe West Virginia, no, maybe no, else? no, 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 no.
5: I, I, this is the kind of thing where if there was any this, I would have heard about it, right? Like, I write about this all the time on Extra Points. Institutional fit matters much more in conference realignment than a lot of sports writers give it credit for. And that means something different for different leagues, right? The West Coast Conference Institutional Fit means you're a religious private school. In the the Pac-12, that means generally you are a state-sponsored large research institution that's good at multiple sports. That's not Kansas State. That's not Texas Tech. That's not Oklahoma State. And none of them are good enough at sports to, to overcome that by themselves. None of them are going to substantially increase the revenue pie. If you bring in Kansas State, you're going to be losing money. Because there's, there, that, that's, that's the epitome of a non-national brand. That's a Mountain West school um, that, that made the right friends back in the 1930s. Um, there's, 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 there's no chance. Um, and, and we're, we're going to hear about that on Friday, they were basically saying that in the presser, like you know, this union uh, achieves many of the goals that we would have had here with expansion. Um, there's really not a good option for the Pac-12 to add another team that will appease all of those presidents, whether that's in the Big 12 leftovers, whether that's in the Mountain West, whether that's an independent, whether that's a team in China. like That, that team just doesn't exist right now.
0: Matt, we appreciate the time and all the opinions. I bet we will be calling you to ask you to come on this show again because we have not heard the last of any of this.
5: I, 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 I think you're probably right, friends. This is the kind of thing that interests you. You can find me at Matt Brown EP on Twitter. You can find Extra Points, which is a newsletter that covers all of this stuff with original reporting, at extrapointsmb.com.
0: Thank you, Matt. Yeah, no problem. Take it easy, fellas. All right, there is Matt Brown. You know where you can check him out when we come back. What is trending? All the headlines next. Stay with us.